data, data, however you want to say it, is everywhere. And it's being used to profile us, to train AI algorithms for, I don't know what, to uh, mimic us, to improve our lives, to worsen our lives, who knows? But it just seems to me like nothing is private anymore. Everything is in the public domain as we've become more and more digital and we find out things after the fact because we don't read the terms and conditions to anything, do we? Turns out the AI algorithms were being trained on Zoom's platform. It also finds out that after you start a thread account on Instagram, you were literally opted in to a completely new set of terms and conditions that you knew nothing about because no one reads those terms and conditions, do they? Where are we going with all of this and what do we need to do about it? It seems like it's the Wild West and there really is very little policing going on or any authority or any governance or any practices to help us get through it all, which is why on this podcast, I wanted to talk to someone who's been the chief privacy officer for some of the largest companies on the planet. I did ask her if she just did those training sessions that we all tend to skip through really, really quickly. You know, the ones where it's like, you know, do this and what, what, how much could you possibly be fined if <laughs> it'll never happen? It does though. And it's starting to. So we have to pay more attention because people's privacy really matters. And I'm confused about what's going on and how we're going and and the reckless attitude of some people who think, oh, well, if Google can do it, I can do it. Well, actually, you're not Google. You don't have an ethical governance board helping you with a data collection. That's not your primary principal business. Therefore, you shouldn't be doing it. In this podcast, I talked to Michelle Finnanen-Dennity. It's a mouthful saying her full name, but it's a wonderful chat about privacy, about the governance ethical collection and use of private information and what you can do about it. She's the CEO and uh, co-founder of privacycode.ai and she literally wrote the book on privacy engineering. It's a fascinating chat. It's actually, she's got a really good LinkedIn profile too. You should check it out. I'll put it in a link somewhere. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Tech Seeking Human podcast and today I'm joined by a privacy expert. Nothing better than the world of AI than to discover all of the things that are going right and wrong with what's happening in the universe. Michelle, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm about to be inundated by a bunch of teenagers, I think, so this, this is keeping it real. Brilliant. I love it. Actually, I read your LinkedIn profile, so 100%, you're a mum. It's one of the best LinkedIn profiles I've ever read. So you're currently the CEO of Privacy Code. And before that, or and actually still, as we talk in about addition. this podcast, in addition, you're the CEO of little people turning into big people. Have they have they done that? Well, some of them have. Actually, the, the older one is now the littlest one at, at five foot nothing. And then the younger one has just turned up with a gang of her friends. And she's 17 sassy going on 42, I think. Brilliant. I won't go into your KPIs then for success. I think we'll. Skip. I failed them all miserably, but <laughs> I, I have I have rules for for I have KPIs for everything, and my my rules for parenthood are are similar to actually my my rules for being a good boss. One, you should always educate them so that they can afford their own therapy, and then to make their lives interesting enough that they have something to say. I love it. 
let's talk about privacy. Let's talk about data. You know, often on this podcast, I've had AI oh, experts and I've worked in tech and it was all about big data. We're just going to collect as much as we possibly can and we're going to scrape the internet for everything and we're going to rig elections. What is going on? Where do we start? I mean, it's so cute. In the past, you know, my former CEO and friend McNeely said, you have zero privacy, get over it. And he was wrong. And for the record, he's still wrong. <laughs> uh, is he still a friend? Yeah, he still is a friend, actually. And, and, I, and I think, you know, and that was the turn of the last century when he said that. So, and I think he would say it again. If he was right here next to me, he probably would say it again. And, and I think what a lot of people mean when they say privacy's dead or privacy's over is this, is this thing. There's, there is a lot of data around and the surveillance economy is enriching. And there are trillionaires running around in the world because there's so much data to be bought and sold and exploited. And in, at the turn of the last century, when you had more data, you were the king. You could sell more ads because the only way we were making money online was guns, girls, porn, and ads. So if you wanted to not be a criminal, you had to sell ads. What we have since discovered, and we're discovering more and more that we're using AI, is that quality does matter. So quantity has hit its apex. And what we found is that that quality, that gigo economy has come back to bite us where garbage in, garbage out is king. And so where I see the surveillance economy is starting to slide back and more is not more anymore. Precision is starting to matter. Provenance very much matters. Quality data turns out to produce quality information and analytics and insights. So where we're at is this interesting turning point where is it super excited for everyone in John Q public to be able to turn on a chat bot and get an answer mm, and is figure it? out is it reliable or not? And and now the game is on. Let's make it reliable. Is it the Prevalence of that AI, is that what's causing this? The, the quality and the accuracy and therefore the average human is going, how do they know this? And is that what's raising the sort of awareness within companies to go, actually, we should be collecting this ethically? Well, that's a good question. I mean, which chicken and which egg? I think number one, the allure of these chatbots is that it's just so darn easy. So before we had search, we had to go to the library and that was hard. And that's why nerds existed. You know, like I was smart because I read the encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. Then facts became cheap because we all had search engines. And so we could all get facts, but now you can read them all, but you have to unpeel them. So if you think of them as kind of like a, a, a bowl full of nuts, you have to crack them open by going website by website. And because the ads are so prevalent, you now have to go through pages upon pages of sponsored websites before you get to the one you really want. And then you have to remember where that is, and then you have to read it, and then you have to go back and get another one. Whereas a chatbot, you can just say, I want to go to Hawaii and I want to have some shellfish and I want to be by the beach, but I don't like children. And you can put all of that into one paragraph and a, an answer appears. 
Now, it may be that once you get there, you're going to find out that you're in the back of a parking lot eating 12-day-old shrimp imported from Kansas. But it sounds awfully good, and it feels good to get an answer. So I think the feel-good, get-an-answer is where the gold rush is going. I think the, oh, my God, this is really, you know, day-old shrimp from Kansas is, is where we're going to get bit back by the bad data. Yeah, so this is it the end of websites. Someone said to me the other day that we might end up with just lots of bots and we'd just be feeding the bots with qualitative data of some sort. It, a, a potential of like, if you don't, if you just have bots and you just have queries, what do you need the websites for? And and how relevant are the websites other than just feeding the bots? It's an interesting thing. I think you know, software ate the world in the early oddies because anyone could do it. You know, I mean, not everyone can be a developer, but most people can pull down what they want to do from an app store, right? And you can, you can pull a calendar app down and you can pull a travel app or an expenses app down and you can put them in a place called a smartphone. I, I suspect that this will become a similar type thing where a website will be more like a portal used to be, and you probably will pull down several capabilities. So I want my answers around my doctor, and I want my answers around my vacation. So it could be that websites look very different and not static. So the branding experience, I think, is about to become very revolutionized. And I think from a privacy perspective, the game in the advertising world was, well, we don't have to worry about privacy because everything is anonymous, you see. And so once it's anonymous, you're just a statistic to me, so I don't have to worry about your rights or your feelings. But if everything is an experience that is about Dave Anderson and this particular Australian Dave Anderson, then suddenly we've built a little fiduciary relationship. And suddenly we have ethical responsibilities that go both ways. And so things like identity and temporal relationships and fiduciary quality and ethics and law, all of these things start crowding those conversations. So I think that's where this values conversation starts to come in because you can have mountains and mountains and mountains and mountains of big data and then just winnow them down to a statistic that says here's the mean of the mountain. But you can't have that same sort of oversimplification of who is Dave Anderson. Yeah, so as you start to get identified, that's when people start to potentially freak a little bit yep. that you're being profiled by various different data sources and because it's not one individual company but a collection of companies that's when we start to freak out like at what point do you, you have to let me know when should i start swinging from the rafters and oh, freaking out and running around in a circle is it now yeah oh, oh we should have been doing it yeah you should have been freaking i've been freaking out for you so it's okay okay that's a relief <laughs> where, where, where are we where, where, like on a scale of zero to 10, being like, you said 2010. So are we getting better? Are the companies starting to go like, no, no, we're going to put some ethical practices in place? Or are we still like, this is 10 out of 10 Wild West stuff going on, actually 15 out of 10? What do you think we're at? 
I think there's a very big continuum out there. I mean, you see these huge fines, you know, you see DD in China over a billion dollar fine and same thing Amazon and Google. And so, so these big, big, big fines for these big companies, you start to see smaller fines for makeup stores and hospitality shops and weight loss centers that are more proportionate to their profit profile. So there is a continuum of penalties, which means people are stepping up their game a little bit. But I also think because people are becoming aware of wanting to be known in context, and we've got a whole generation of digital natives who very much want to share, but their way and their brand and looking like they want to look, we start to demand better controls from these enterprises. So I think we're, we're still wild west, but I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that the consumers that are going to start to be able to have the means to pay or pay someone else your competitor are starting to have the wherewithal to choose. Can, is, it, is, is it government led? You mentioned percentage of profit fines for certain companies. Is it because governments are setting these penalties that they're starting to go now, actually, this is getting to the point now that this is significant enough risk for us to be paying enough attention to it? I think we definitely saw that with GDPR when the fines hit 4% of global turnover. All of those obligations, it's very interesting because you hear some of these quote unquote privacy experts saying, oh, you know, privacy began in 2018, you know, May 25. No, <laughs> most of the obligations in GDPR, you know, started far before that in, in, in Australia and many other places way before that. But that level of global profit being tied to your your mishaps or your negligence or your active flaunting of those obligations made people sit up and say, maybe this is like food safety or antitrust or something else that has impact. Yeah, right. And so they're starting to make a difference now. Do you feel like there's a, a momentum swing within companies? I mean, you've been, let's do a little bit of background on, on you. You've been a chief privacy officer of one of the largest B2B tech companies. Um, yeah, so I started out at Sun Microsystems. I was their first chief privacy officer. And then I set up the first, had a BD at Oracle for their first security and privacy sales team. And then the first CPO for McAfee Intel. And then the first CPO for Cisco. So I like to go into messy places and neat them up and hire teams and make those systems run before I started Privacy Code with my partner, Christy Edwards. And so now we have a platform so anyone can start their own, either build products or build programs or build ethical programs for, for consumers, even on the top of our platform. That's what we like to do. Yeah, and I want to go into that, how you're solving it. But I'm assuming when you're like a chief privacy officer in a large company, you basically just set rules and tell everyone to stop, right? You're like a headmaster. <laughs> no. And you just go like, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to do that. And then you have to do this training once a year and you get all your friends together and you just click through and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, if this do. email comes from blah, blah, blah. You, do you write those emails? Because it can just, be way I more entertaining. I just sit at my desk and I put my feet up and I go, no. Yeah. The answer to you is no. Can I share? I, no. Can I no. put No. 
that would feel so good, actually. I just want to have a whole year of just no. I think that's no. what most people think chief privacy officers might do. I know I they know. don't. I know. It's so sad. No, it's so I'll give you and and, and in, in between all of that running around and setting up these programs, I actually also co-authored a book with my father mm-hmm. and my business partner called The Privacy Engineers Manifesto. And it is free. You can get it at apress.com or on your Kindle or your Nook. And the reason we made it free was because this methodology is something that should be shared, I believe. And, and it should be shared because we believe that the definition of privacy is not secrecy, which goes back to my old Fred Scott of, I believe that when he says you have no privacy, it's very hard to have perfect secrecy and do business or, or be social. But that's not my definition. Secrecy is one aspect of privacy. Anonymity is one aspect of privacy. Privacy, the functional definition, is the authorized processing of data about people according to ethical, legal, and sustainable, commercially sustainable, doable, practical rules. So ethical, legal, and sustainable rules in that order. So if it's not something that's ethical, and usually I add moral on top. So moral is like that Mm -hmm. super, you know, don't punch grandmas in the face. Hopefully you don't have to do that, right? Like typically- We Australians have failed at that one. Right, like that's typically a no. These days, you know, you should say it out loud. Ethical is really like, think about it in the commercial sense, your ethics are your brand. So you might have a fast food hamburger ethics and you say, listen, you're here to share stuff and I sell that stuff and I don't do a lot of security. Like that, that might be the thing. And you are just very upfront about it. Or you might be like really gourmet. Like I'm a doctor. You can get naked in here and show me all your bad stuff. I can't share it. Even in a court of law, I can't share that stuff. So that's, it's really important to understand that context and then comes the law. And then if you can't sustain the level of those promises, you should not be doing it. So only after you get through all of that stuff, do I say no until it is, can we authorize this? Is this something contextually possible? How are we processing? Do we have partners that are doing it? Are we doing it ourselves? And then all three things are there. If there's not a way, and there's a lot of creativity that happens in that soft system, if there's absolutely no way, usually it's because you've punched your grandma in the face, then I say no. (laughs) But the equivalent of punching a grandma in the face, how do you be cutting edge if you're, if it's so new and you suspect, well, others are doing it, so therefore it seems legal? (laughs) Sometimes people come in and they say, well, Google's doing it, so yeah. I am too. So I say, well, that's great. So a couple of things. One, are we a search engine, you know, or doing Google things? Like is the expectation that, that we are Google doing Google things? Because if not, then that's, doesn't matter what they're doing. If, if the answer is yes, yes. Is, can you prove that the, the Google thing that's going on didn't go through all of the committees that they've set up and talked to Keith Enright, who's a wonderful CPO and done all the things and, and has all the agreements and has all those written proofs and has all the privacy engineering supporting it. So 
if you can show me that you've done all that stuff too, then fine. It's kind of like me saying, I would like to be Cindy Crawford without ever working out or being genetically that. <laughs> like, so it's, you know, comparison is fine, but it's still not, is this the authorized processing of this information according to the ethical, legal, and sustainable thing. So it's much easier to be yourself in context and, and with the right expectations because that's so much more sustainable. If I'm just comparing myself to what I think I can get away with because some lawyer down the road that I've never met might not send me to jail, that's not a sustainable way for me to make a record of my decision making, show that I'm a good person, prove to you that I'm trustworthy so that you can grant me your trust. So you mentioned ethical, like an ethical board, and I've been doing a lot of research on AI and some of the companies are really big on, like I interviewed Max Tegmark who started the Future of Life Institute and talks basically about the need to have humans in the loop of some of this decision-making. Yes. And, and, and a lot of companies like Google have set up ethical boards that will say, well, how are you doing this? Is that common practice for a company to have like a ethical privacy board where it's not just yourself making these decisions, but you're running it past industry experts that, that, you know, if you're on the teetering on the edge of the cliff and you're like, I think we need to jump off that cliff because it'll be safe down there. And there's a board of people going, no, nah, that's not so a good idea. It's not as common as it should be. So one of the things we have at, on privacycode.com or dot, dot AI, oh my God, I'm like citing my <laughs> the Your business partner's just gone, Michelle, 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 Michelle. But you did it deliberately because now we mentioned it three times, privacycode.ai. It's true. See, AI, AI. One of the things we have is, is a series of libraries and because people are doing this in, in several different ways, because ethics are, what people have said to me is we can't do ethics because they're, they're subjective. Thing number one, we have about 5,000 years of experience with ethics. So <laughs> you can tell me that we are cutting edge in certain types of data protocols, and I will believe you. Usually there's probably a lot more time under the, you know, in, in the universities than we think there, are, there is, but what you can't tell me we don't have experience with ethics because ethics starts with like, as soon as, you know, Ted came out of the cave and saw Ed, then we had humans that had to have rules with each other, which is really what ethics is. So thing number two, there are things that we have started to come up with. So in ethics, there is something called the model cards, and this is a bunch of researchers, some of whom came out of Google actually, said there's, there's processes and, and sometimes it's a committee and sometimes it's simply a way of deciding how are we looking at the provenance of the data that's coming in to assess things? What are we borrowing from things like academia and medicine where we have been using boards and committees and systems to say, for example, if I wanted to be a subject in, in a test for a clinical trial, there's a very strict protocol on who can give their consent to be tested. For how long is that data relevant? For what kind of additional proofs would that data apply? And, and where can it be published in what kind of, you know, journals example, or in how identified can that, that 
person subject be. So we do have examples and analogies from other very sensitive types of data sharing that we've had for ages and ages. And then we can also philosophically borrow from ethical protocols. You know, we can use the, the 12 principles of Aristotle of what are the what are the illities that you're going for? Is this like comfort, reputation, you know, hunger? What are the things that we're solving for? Are we looking at bias? So sometimes not only do you need a community within your company to say, this is why we're making the decision and maybe it's cross-functional because we want legal and technical and maybe financial, but maybe sometimes you want someone from outside to have a different point of view to say, I just want to check your wreck, <laughs> you know, and just say, does it still make sense to, to you process this type of information, to install this new type of surveillance, or to withdraw a certain type of surveillance that maybe was protecting someone in one sense, but also invading someone else's space in another. And the larger our models are, and the more automated the decisions and the more impactful those decisions are, that's when we want to document how are we engineering these systems and where are we putting those humans in the loop to make sure that we're course correcting because the only thing that is certain is we will screw up because we have 5,000 years of data knowing that we will. But we just have to know how to course correct when we do. And humans make mistakes. And there's a lot of people, you talked about diversity being a good thing, which it is. So like different opinions and perspectives, but there's also diversity in large organizations where it becomes challenging because there are so many coders or developers implementing these technologies. How do you create a model when it's so fast moving? Yeah, well, this is another, I mean, we didn't plan this in advance. This is another reason we developed a platform because once you've made a call, sometimes you have to have consistency. So having 10 people deciding 10 different ethical standards or 10 different rules or even 10 different controls can mean no controls because you've got so much noise in the system that it just makes it really easy for everybody to break or everyone to choose something separately. So when you have a unifying control, having a way to uniformly apply that control at least over a set period of time is really critical. And having a way to go in and check or audit or prove that you've done that kind of control is really the heart and soul of privacy engineering. So that you can come up with what I call a P-bomb or a privacy bill of materials and say, look, this is what we did. This is the headline. This is when we did it. This is the period of time in which we did it because time is the piece that's so often forgotten in all of this. They'll say, oh, it's compliant. I've never seen anything compliant because compliant plus 10 seconds is maybe not. Is it simply for audit reasons or is it for continuous learning? Continuous learning for recursive loops it always is, once you get to the end, it's like Mr. Rogers, he says, it's just the beginning of the next adventure, right? It's like you finish it and you think you've gotten to requirements and then someone uses your system and inevitably they'll use it in a way you didn't expect or time will move on. And it's like, well, we're still using 
knives in this way at the dining table, but look, they also make, you know, good wedges to like open doors when you when the doorknobs are broken. Now Is you it, have a new requirement. Yeah, let's go into your company, privacyguide.ai. Not .com. <laughs> yeah, um, right? Who's buying it? And what teams are buying it? Because as you're explaining it, I'm going, this would just have to be modern developers. They wouldn't be putting this in any legacy system because it's already, to your point, maybe existed for too long, but maybe they're the ones that should be analyzed without me jumping ahead. Who buys this platform? Yeah, and, and the answer is both, actually. So one of my first customers is a longtime computing company that's been around for decades and decades. And so it's not just on the new stuff. They realized, oh my gosh, we've got so many different data sources. What we need is data governance. And so what they're doing is starting on the process level and saying, what have we got? And what does it mean to have all of these different pockets of data sources in a world where we want to move into more and more AI offerings, where we want to consume more AI-driven vendors and answers and sales cycles and speed and efficiencies and reportings. And so, they're applying across the board. How do we consistently know what our data values and profiles are? And, and at the same time, how are we documenting what our privacy program is? So it can be a COO and their cadre and teams, and then going down the business units, how do we look at things? And so there's two different tracks is, first there's the business rule. What is the thing that we're trying to do? Sometimes some people are simply trying to keep up and get compliant or follow a rule or a law. Most companies are trying to do three broad things. They're trying to grow, they're trying to expand, or they're trying to sell stuff. So that's, mm -hmm. I'm a pretty simple gal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, Me too. You know, growing <laughs> little people into big people. I, yeah. I expand, I grow, and I sell stuff. And so in those motions, you are either employing more people, you're giving assignments to less people because the economy is shrinking, or you're trying to make the most out of repurposing or reselling things. So you're looking at, in my case, typically data companies, you know, so my dad used to say, there's only two types of companies that need privacy and data governance. You might want to write this down. Mm -hmm. It's very convoluted. Two kinds of companies, First kind, companies that have customers or employees. The second kind of company wants to have those things. So mm -hmm. only those customers need privacy. So once we've, once we've identified that one of those customers is at play, then it can be the COO who's looking to operationalize and measure. It can be the CSO who's looking to get more technical and making sure their privacy, the mechanisms are meeting the proofs. So maybe you've done your privacy impact assessments or you've filled out forms that have said, I've got these controls and I've got these controls or I fill out these legal agreements, but you don't really know if the systems are doing all that stuff. We actually would feed in those documents into our AI and it would read onto our LLM, which is a system of requirements that says two things. Here's the processes that do what you say, and here are the technologies that do what you say. And then you can check those out through a Kanban process, and then at the end, you get a bill of materials from us. So it might be your technical team that's 
trying to make sure that they're consistently applying your controls. It might be a process team that wants to make sure that their program is broad enough and covering enough ground so that it's sufficient under a secure control framework or NIST or GDPR or the Australian privacy rules or security rules or, or you know any of the any of those kinds of things. So all of these things tend to be quite recursive. So our library is an internal library that that reads on the world's data requirements or AI requirements or data quality requirements. And so those those are these little tasks that we've populated our library with. And so that's what we're helping your written word get transformed into a doable task. And then we help you measure it and plan it out. And then when it's done, you can prove it. Do, do you get ahas? Is it, do people install this, do the thing and go, oh, I don't know if we need it, but let's have a look. And then they go, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's really yeah. fun. It's really fun. And it, you know, it's, it's like, at first you're like, oh, do I want to know? Yeah. And, and I tell everyone, like, you don't need to fear. Like, we all suck at this. Yeah. It's kind of like the first time you go into the gym and it's like, oh, I don't really want to do 10 jumping jacks because everything's jiggling. Everybody's jiggling. It's okay. I like that analogy of fitness. I've used that a lot because it's, you can't go once. So like privacy, security, digital experience, any of these things that you want to get good at, you've got to do it daily and you need everyone mm -hmm. doing it. So you get good at it and you're learning from it. And I would assume privacy is the same thing because technology keeps evolving. Yep. So you can't stop. You can't just go, oh, well, we'll let's just revisit this in three years. Look away and then somehow I won't be liable. Every single law requires and every new law requires privacy by design. And so if you're using privacycode.ai, thing number one, you're already compliant with that section. And it's a really hard thing to prove. If you're not, then you're like, oh, I met a lawyer for lunch last Tuesday. <laughs> like, how are you going to prove that you talked about design? Are like you're yeah. pulling out your architecture drawings? So thing number one, it makes it really easy to prove that you're doing privacy by design. And, and then the ahas, I think, are the most exciting thing for me when people realize, wow, you know, UX people should be doing UX, they should be doing UX tasks. And when I tell somebody exactly what I want, because we use user stories, and I say, I want a UX that does this, instead of saying, no, you can't, I say, I want this then my creatives can just focus on being really good at their jobs. And the same thing, my security people, I can say, I have this type of data that needs to go in this type of environment. Instead of saying, oh, I got this covered and I'm in a black box and I've got my like my old Talos t-shirt from my Cisco days and I'm got my black hoodie on. I got a I got all I got this hacked, Michelle, I got this hacked. I got no no worries here. No. Instead, they're like, they're doing hackery things and they're like, how would I break in? How would I fix? Or, oh, I've got this new thing that I would do. I want everyone to be an expert in what they do. And then we're teaching each other this beautiful orchestra. And then I can just stand there as this kind of data conductor. And that's when I get the ahas so that you may think that you've got a problem with open rates and click rates. What you actually have a problem with is your supply chain. And when we draw these things together, 
you don't have like a little, I need a new vendor over here to make robocalls. You might have a board level efficiency issue where you can now hire 25 more boots on the ground people because you've saved a bunch of money by not throwing it down the can. Mm, That's well, exciting. That is, I like that. I like the, the context of companies that can double click on something dive a little deeper because at first it's really easy just to go oh i know but we just gotta like we, we just gotta keep moving we just you know what i mean exactly checklists we've yeah. got a checklist which good i just i just need to get through this quarter without actually taking the time jumping jacks checklist i'm still fat <laughs> <laughs> that and a milkshake just gets you bigger pants that's it you keep eating bad food it doesn't matter how often you go to the gym and companies are eating bad food and not working out privacy is like oh well if you're not google you don't have to be compliant yes you do yep. yes you do just because you're not the number one highest finding person this is a story everything in, in privacy is a story about our lives like if you're a bank and you think you can do a checkbox exercise on compliance because, or you think you're doing it because someone is going to come and audit you. No, you're doing it because someone is trusting you with the dollars that they've earned by working really hard. And shame on you if you're disrespecting even the smallest passbook because they are trusting you and, and you have your job because they are trusting you to do yours. Before we finish, I want to ask you a couple of really quick questions. Asking for a friend, this one. Yeah. Developing an app and collecting a lot of data and then just assuming, well, you know, everyone collects data and the value of my company will be based on the fact that I've collected a whole heap of people's data and don't have a chief product officer, let alone a marketing intern. How, do, how does a what advice do you give to people starting apps today that are collecting private data marketing data and analytics data has never been more regulated and is about to be kind of regulated out of existence so thing number one it's less expensive than you think to do it right the first time last question finish this sentence for me then ai will dot 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 change everything payments search ai Oh, hopefully for the better. So think about this. So Dave, you have cancer. Oh, stop lifting. Did that come from Yelp? Because you ingested, you know, an apple that's not, you know, organically grown in, you know, yak shit? Or is that from the Lancet based on a longitudinal study and your doctor and da 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 so, AI represents a statement coming as an unshelled nut presented to you as a sentence. And so the terror in that is when it, that statement is something that is hugely impactful and may change the course of everyone in your world's life. And there's no context. And it's delightful when it's like, you know, it's a wonderful poem or it's like a funny haiku or a joke or something, blah, blah, blah. But when it's a thing that changes everything and there's no context 
and then there's billions upon billions of those stacked on top of each other, you can see where where we get up to some real problems. And that's that's both the beauty of it because it's easy and that's the terror of it because how do you know it's real? That's powerful. It's Michelle, it's we should end it at that point. I think there's something for us. <laughs> is that good? Is it bad? I don't know. I feel like we need like a song and dance or something or straw hats. No, I just wanted to reflect and thank you for this opportunity to have a conversation with you. If I said a year ago, I was going to talk to a privacy expert. <laughs> Willingly. I, I would have having like run a marketing department before. I'd be like, I really got to talk to those marketing operations people about the fact that our data is sitting over there. And <laughs> what it's did I do wrong? Coming across in a spreadsheet. Am I in trouble? Like, is she going to, but, <laughs> but. It... We're more fun than you think we are. You are. And, and I think. It's becoming more interesting. And this is why I was sort of leading these questions is like, is it? And, and I know that it is becoming more interesting because data has been everything to everyone. And now it's just like, don't just collect it, do it properly, do it ethically. Yeah. And I loved your statement about you're not Google. So don't just because you think, because everyone, no. the knee jerk reaction, oh, but they're collecting everything. So I'm just going to collect everything too. It doesn't really matter. And I'll store it in a spreadsheet and I'll share it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining, Michelle. It's been wonderful. And yeah, really appreciate your time. Yeah, that was fun.